Amen, amen. Well, good to be saved. Amen. Good to be in church. Yes. Good to see me. Uh, you know, you probably heard guys say this. I don't like it myself. But you ever hear everybody say, well, I'd rather be in church than the best jail in town. Amen. Guys, there's a lot of places I'd rather be than the best jail in town. I'd rather have dinner with my mother-in-law than be the best jail in town. Of course, if I had dinner with my mother-in-law, I'd probably be in the best jail in town. But anyway, uh, isn't it good to be saved? Amen. And isn't it good to be in church? Amen. You know, uh, I don't know what you count as like your big shot, you know, what, what you like to do the most. I like being in church. Amen. It is really good, really good. Uh, I'll mention a couple things about the book table. I, um, <clears throat> I don't want you to think uh, that you have to go uh, you know, go by there and, and buy something. You certainly don't. You can feel free just to go by and leave money. Uh, this is the first book I wrote. It was actually a master's thesis back in 1979. Uh, it has grown a little bit. It's gone through four editions, an understandable history of the Bible. And it is an understandable history, history of the Bible. Uh, I, this is awful. This is awful. I used to say this guy in a church in Philadelphia, his old 71-year-old grandmother got saved, and, and then read this book. She's two years younger than I am now. So this chick. <laughs> but she was 71 years old, raised Roman Catholic, got saved. Uh, and she said to her grandson, well, just where did we get the Bible from anyway? And they gave her that book right there. And she promptly broke a hip trying to pick it up. But um, uh, they said within, within two months, man, she's coming in telling them what she learned. Up from it. So that is back there. If you are not a book reader, uh, some people, you know, I'm a reader. I'm a reader. Uh, there are readers, <clears throat> there are listeners, people that listen to things. They don't read books. We have that book on, uh, they have a third edition on uh, audiobook. We have that, Live with Pain, and Is Our English Bible Inspired? Those are on uh, audiobook. And then, you know, some people are watchers, and so we have some, uh, you know, DVDs and things like that for them. Uh, this one I did not write. It's called Fight for Light. Uh, the spiritual battle with chronic illness. <clears throat> People have chronic illness from diabetes, uh, lupus, MS, things like that. And they take you down, guys. They'll take you down. That's hard life. Uh, my pastor is a great, great man. He really is. And for the last 20 years, he has fought uh, with uh, leukemia. And in fact, in fact, uh, he took that church 36 years ago, 175 people. Never tried to build a big church. God just gave him people. Added on to the building that was there. Uh, then had to build a gym. Uh, then had to build, he was getting ready to build a 1,200-seat uh, sanctuary. And he said, the day I was going to meet with the deacons to talk about building a new building, that afternoon I got the call from my doctor that said I had leukemia. And he had to go in and talk to the, uh, to the men and say, well, we're going to build a building. I may not be here when it's done, but we're going to build the building. And he's been there 20 years uh, fighting that. This brother here. Uh, Robert Murphy, his son teaches for me, and uh, Bob uh, was in Vietnam as a uh, lost man, <clears throat> got, uh, got under intravenous drugs, got out of Vietnam, um, got saved, but his liver didn't get saved. He had hepatitis C, uh, went to the mission field of Romania for eight years, struggled with his, with his bad health, and uh, got back, you know, he had finally had to come back country. Uh, they did a liver transplant, that didn't really uh, do well for him. Uh, I think I think probably 60 days, within 60 days after us publishing this book for him, he went home to be with the Lord. But he's got a good book. If you if you have a chronic problem, chronic health problem, this book may be a help to you. Uh, if you've got a lost friend with a chronic health problem, it's got a good chapter on salvation 
And sometimes that's the door you use. So, <clears throat> so that is back there. Uh, this one, uh, Rightly Dividing God's Word Through Dispensations, that's the long title. I call it Dispensations 101. And I'm going to tell you, to be very honest, do you know why people take a step back from dispensational teaching? It's not, well, I just, no, no, I'll tell you why it is. They're intimidated and they think they're not going to understand it. But let me give you a thought. All right, if I ask you this, what must I do to be saved? What are you going to tell me? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, right? Acts chapter 16. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19, somebody asked Jesus Christ, what must I do to get eternal life? And he said, uh, keep commandments. Now, something changed between, between Matthew 19 and Acts chapter 16. And that is, that is, this book is so simple, you could take the table of contents, tear it out, and use it to teach it. That's how simple it is. So, uh, it will help you. It help you. Uh, there's a whole lot of people. In fact, if you don't understand dispensational teaching, you'll get to Matthew chapter 24 and think you're going half day through, through tribulation. That's where a lot of those guys got it. They got it because they don't know their Bible. All right? So, uh, so those are back there. This one is the big one. Uh, I'll probably uh, never do this again simply because uh, uh, the vocal cords wouldn't take it. But I used to do a 24-hour King James seminar. We would start at uh, 8 o'clock on Thursday morning and go to 8 o'clock at night. Uh, 8 o'clock uh, Friday morning, go to 8 o'clock at night. In that 24 hours, I would teach one-year college curriculum on the King James Bible. Uh, 36 lessons, or 33 lessons. And uh, that's what this is. This is, uh, it is 10 DVDs that are uh, the uh, MP4s, I think, that, that are the video. Uh, then there's two CDs. One of them is the entire audio on MP3, so you can listen to it in your truck or something. Uh, and one of them, uh, this comes with a 130-page, uh, 8.5 by 11 uh, syllabus. Uh, and uh, so there's a, a CD that has that. Just a little of what is covered here are the two lines of Greek manuscripts. I told you they come from Antioch and Alexandria. Uh, the Hexapla, the Apocrypha, uh, the theories of inspiration. Uh, I, I'm not going to ask you what you believe about inspiration because you're wrong. No, no, I'm not. Yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You know why you're wrong? Because you and I are a piece of dirt, and we only use one-tenth of our brain. If we used 100% of our brain, we'd still be dumb compared to God, right? Amen. And we have an infinite God, and a bunch of walking, talking dirt balls think they're going to define Him with a sentence. Well, here's what inspiration is. You give me what you believe about inspiration, and I'll show you in this book two or three places that refute what you believe. Now, I believe the whole thing's inspired, okay? I mean, I, I, so every word in there is inspired, but we cover those, uh, what, they, what they believe from the from the liberal end all the way to, you know, verbal plenary, et cetera, so on. Uh, the establishment of the canon. Who's, <clears throat> who said these 27 books belong in the New Testament and, uh, and, and nothing else? And uh, it's remarkable, actually, uh, how quickly after, after the whole thing, when it first got started, uh, how quickly that was established. Uh, here's one, reasoned eclecticism. Now, that sounds like something you go to the doctor for. But when you hear the words reasoned, don't you think we're going to be reasonable? I mean, doesn't it sound like, oh, reason, we're going to be, no, really, doesn't it? Nothing can be further from the truth. Uh, I don't call it reason eclecticism. I call it uh, scholarship gone wild or, uh, you know, uh, scholarship with your brain burnout. Um, here's what they do. And guys, uh, I, I told you, I read the scholars and here's, here's what, you get some guys that use the NIV. We know they got 17 verses missing from their Bible, correct? And if you show them that, here's what they used to say. Well, those aren't in there because we think the best manuscripts come from Alexandria and those verses aren't in there. 
So even though they're wrong, they've got some, even though they're, they're corrupted, they've got some Greek authority to, to, to claim what they claim, right? I'll read the scholars. Here's what they say now. We put in what we think should be there. You ready for this? And hope someday they discover a manuscript that justifies our conjecture. So when you think these guys, well, you know, they're scientists. They're about as scientist, scientific as an evolutionist. Uh, Desiderius Erasmus. Two names you never want to give to your children. Uh, so this, these are back there, uh, and um, uh, it, they're good. Uh, at least on the King James issue, they'll, uh, they'll really help you with your book uh, and get it all straightened out. Uh, I want you to uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not preaching out of that. I just want to see if it's in your version. Hebrews chapter 11. Well, come on, guys. How's it going to stand? Just get with it. Every time I look out there, you're standing. I look out there, and you're all sitting. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 27. By faith, he forsook, talking about Moses. Uh, by, by faith, he forsook, Moses, uh, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for endured as seeing him who is invisible. Father, we thank you now, God, for you. We are thankful for you. Because there's nothing wrong with you. Amen. And we're thankful for this book. Because God, there is nothing wrong with this book. And we're thankful, God, in a nation that every day takes a, 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 another large, long step away from you. In a nation where uh, literally, God, they are trying to put the devil on your throne. But we are still free to come here and uh, sit in a church. And, and God, I, look, I'm not saying I'm a good preacher. But just being here, listen, Father, what they got just from the singing is better than anything they would have got if they stayed home and watched TV. So, Father, we thank you. God, God, if the day comes that these doors are locked up by this government, and there's probably people here from other churches, God, and those churches are closed up too, help us to look back and say, man, I'm sure glad I went to church every time doors were open. Because if they don't, they wish they did. So thank you, God. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Thank you for the freedom and thank you, God, for the confidence that we have, not in us, but in you and in your book. Now, God, please, folks came through an ugly night, rainy night. They came to church. They want something from you. They want something from your book. And if they don't get it tonight, it'll be my fault. They need you to get Sam Gip out of your way and out of their way, that you could speak to the hearts of each individual and accomplish your purpose in each life represented. <clears throat> in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I have a seat. Uh, let me, what if I, what would you do if I told you this? What if I told you that you could do something that God cannot do? Now, when I tell you that, I know what you think. The first thing you think is, oh, sin. Well, yes, yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can sin and he can't sin. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not a play on words. Uh, it's not something that uh, I'm, I'm saying semantical. I mean, what if I told you that you had an ability that God does not have. You have an ability that God does not possess. And I'm going to talk to you tonight. This, now, this is not really my kind of message. I'll explain why. Um, uh, it, it isn't. It's not that kind of message I like. And here's what you're going to do. This is kind of like getting on an airplane, and they're not telling you where you're going, and they got all the windows covered, and you're in the air, and they turn left, they turn right, and think, where are we going? That's what you're going to think as we go through this message. What? Where is he going? And I'll just tell you front right now, I have no idea. No, um, 
But when we land the plane, I think you'll like where we land. I really do. I think you'll like where we land. Um, when I was a kid, <clears throat> they had a movie called The Invisible Man. Uh, I wish it was true because there's a whole bunch of people I wish I didn't have to see anymore. <laughs> One of them drinks light beer sit, sitting in a bathtub. But um, anyway, um, I am here to tell you tonight there's an invisible man. I mean, there really is an invisible man. I mean, a genuine invisible man. And I'm going to tell you what your ability is that God cannot do. You can see an invisible man that God cannot see. Now, let me explain. First off, uh, I am a, a Bible believer. Uh, I am a Bible reader. <clears throat> I am a Bible studier. Uh, I teach my students. I, I call them scholars. And I know what you think. Uh, you know, I'm a scholar. And when I say I'm a scholar, you think, oh, well, you think that you're very, very smart, very, very intelligent. No, no, that's not what scholar means. Do you know what scholar means? It has one definition. Student. Man, in the 1800s, when all these kids, you know, come to the one-room school, schoolhouse, they're all, you know, they're, they're, they're all running up to the, all these people from different grades, all these little kids. You know what the teachers would say? Here come the little scholars. A scholar is just a student. And if you, if you continue to be a student of this book, you are a scholar. So you want to be a scholar? Just keep studying. All right? Uh, but, but, I, but I like the book. And I'm not into, uh, I'm not into what, uh, uh, you know, look, I got a, I got a Bible program on my, uh, on my computer. <clears throat> and I use it uh, to, when I'm writing a book, and I've got to put a patch of Scripture in there, rather than me trying to type it and hoping I didn't type a word wrong or put a, put a punctuation wrong, I cut and paste. That's what I got it there for. Uh, I, have, I, have a, uh, uh, I have a Bible program on my phone. Now, let me explain this. I got a good friend. I like him. He's a good preacher. He's a good, good friend. Known him for probably 30, 40 years. He preaches out of a laptop. I don't like to see people preach out of a laptop. Okay? And he's a good guy. And, and, and every time he preaches, I'll say, get a Bible. He's, he's a King James Bible believer. <coughs> and he holds, his, he holds his laptop like this. And he says to me, this is my Bible. I can do everything with my Bible. You can do it with your Bible. And he's not being arrogant, you know. And so one day, it was after service. I got done preaching. He was there. And he's standing there like this with his laptop. And I walked up and I went, uh, is this your Bible? He said, yep. I said, this is my Bible. I said, can you do everything with your Bible that I can do with my Bible? He goes, I sure can. I said, let's do this with our Bibles. There'd be a pile of words on the floor if he did that, okay? Uh, and, and like I said, I got a, I got a, word, uh, a, uh, I got a Bible program on my phone for that one time. Oh, guys, guys, uh, this October, or no, no, this August, it's one of those months. Uh, this August, Kathy and I will celebrate 51 years of married, marriage. I would like to tell you this. I wish I could. I wish I could. I wish I could tell you that woman has never lied to me. Well, I can't tell you that. Now, she has only ever told me one lie, but she has told it to me consistently for 51 years. I will pull into a grocery store and she'll get out of the car and say, or truck, and say, I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Pack me a lunch. You know, there's some kind of a, there's just something wrong with a man starving to death in a grocery store parking lot. You see this here? Last time we went to a grocery store, I didn't have it. When she came out, I had it, okay? 
She came out there one day and she said, you ready to go? And I went, Kathy, you're here. Man, I told you I read 30 pages a day. I get about a week ahead. I just sit in the car and I just read my Bible. So, so I use it for that. My wife, my wife, uh, she cannot see uh, out of her left eye. She had got the shingles uh, virus in it years ago. Uh, she can see form and light. She can't really see. That's why I always want to hit her, hit her from the left side. And um, uh, so she has to, uh, she's got a large print Bible, but sometimes she can't even use that. She uses a, what is it, Kindle? Kindle? Is that what it is, babe? Yeah, Kindle, so she can get the letters big. But guys, if you don't have some special reason to need something like that, I say this, God inspired a book, not a disc. Okay? Now that being said, that's why, this is why this is not my kind of message. I'm going to tell you that there are people, uh, and, and well, all right, I'm going to say something's going to make the women mad, but uh, stay with me because in a minute I'll say some bad things about men and then you'll feel better. The electronic age <clears throat> has, has hurt our churches Amen. in two ways. It has hurt our women. Here's what's hurt our women in the electronic age. Uh, soundtracks and cheap sound equipment have made a bunch of women who cannot sing think they can. I have heard these women. I have also heard dying cats. And I really think if you just play the right music, they sound the same. I mean, man, I've heard, I remember we were in California and this lady, she must have been a thousand years old. And she came up with her black leather jacket sequined with her black tights, uh, blue jeans, and some kind of cowboy boots. And she put a boom box up here and she started singing, I'm available. I told Kathy, I said, I think she is. <laughs> I think she's going to pin her number and phone number back on the, her name and phone number back on the bulletin board before she leaves, okay? Now, you know where the, you know where the electronic age has hurt our men in our churches? Bible programs and, and uh, computers and Bible programs have made a bunch of lazy men think that they're Bible scholars. You know what you do? Uh, you, um, you, you, you guys, you punch a word into your computer, and then you go out and mow the grass, and when you come back in, your printer has thrown up on your desk like 50 pages of a word, and you think you studied the Bible. No, you mowed your grass, okay? Uh, I was preaching in uh, Cincinnati some years ago, and there was one of those guys, he had a computer and Bible program, so he thought that made him, you know, some high stuff. And I'll never forget me, he walked up one, one evening before service, he had a, a, a stack of eight and a half by 11 pages like this, half an inch thick. And now, now, again, ladies, bear with me on this, bear with me on this, because I'm going to say something to insult you, but that's okay, I'm going to be worse to the men. Women. Say some stupid things. They really do. Lady, you remember the stupidest thing you ever said? I do. Yeah, that, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. <clears throat> Men also say some stupid things. And now look, I don't think, I really don't. I don't think women say things that are more stupid than men. And I don't think that men say things that are more stupid than women. But when a woman says something stupid, it's so obvious everybody just gets a chuckle. When a woman says something stupid, it's always, oh, I can't believe I said that. When a man says something stupid, he thinks it's oracle. He thinks it ought to be etched in granite and memorized by children. 
I've never had a woman say anything stupid to me and finish it like a man does. Because when a man says something stupid, he'll say something stupid and finish it with this. Huh? <laughs> like dazzled you. Yeah, but not how you think. This guy walks up with this half-inch thick stack of paper. And he goes, here you go, brother. Huh? And I said, what is this? That's the word forever. Every time it appears in the Bible. How could he know that I woke up that morning just wringing my hands, wondering how many times the word forever was in the Bible? The only upside of this was when I looked at that stack of papers, I thought they had to cut down some trees to make this somewhere an environmentalist is crying. <laughs> so I'm not, into, uh, I'm not into that kind of study. But let me tell you what happened. This happened back in 1990. Uh, I think it was last night. Last night I had the, uh, the, blue, the, the, the blue, the red, and the yellow answer books. The blue, this is the first book I wrote. Uh, 1987. The Blue Answer Book was the second, 1989. Uh, that book was uh, was was uh, published in 1989, and in 1990, a guy in Finland refuted me. And what I did in that book, uh, if you get it, it shows we're talking about where the the two sources of manuscripts, Antioch and Alexandria, uh, and I show you the first uh, the first mention of Egypt, which is negative. And guys, I did not invent the law of the first mentions. Okay? I mean, that was around before I was even saved. And the first time Egypt is mentioned, it is negative. The first time that Alexandria is mentioned, it is negative. I'll show you the first time that, Ale that Antioch is mentioned, and it is positive. So here's what these guys do. These guys that are scholars, they never contact me. They never refute me. They never write, send me letters and say, yeah, you know, you're, you're wrong, because they know I will read their letter to you. So they always have some marionette. They always send their letter to this guy, you know, and here's what this guy in Finland said. He said, well, he said, Dr. Gipp didn't tell you the first time that, that uh, Syria, because it's Antioch and Syria. He said, he didn't tell you the first time that Syria is mentioned in the Bible because it's negative and he didn't want you to know. Well, actually, it wasn't that sinister. I just never thought of it. But then, to prove his point, he showed this first. Go to Judges chapter 10. And in Judges chapter 10, he showed this verse, verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil against in the sight of, uh, again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam, and Ashtaroth, and the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord, and served not him. Can you believe that guy tried to spin that as negative? I think that's about as negative as you can get, don't you think? Now, one of the things that I, uh, I, flog, uh, I flog my students with about reading the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. I don't want you just to know the Bible. I don't want you just to read the Bible. I want you to get familiar with the Bible. You know what familiar with the Bible is? There's a story. The story of this man, young man. One man he wanted to learn about jade. You know, the, 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 the little green rock jade? And there was a man near where he lived who was a, I guess like the, know all, do all on jade. And he called that guy up and he said, could I come by? Would you teach me about jade? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll teach you about great jade. And so the young man showed up and, and the old man in his hand had a piece of jade. He said, now, here's a piece of jade. You take that and you just hold it and give it to me when I, when I ask you for it. And then he showed him his house. But he told when it was built. 
He showed him all the rooms and how many bathrooms, basement, and heating plant, air conditioning, and never said a word about Jade. And that went on for a couple hours, and then he said, okay, give me the, give me the piece of Jade. Now go on home, come back tomorrow. The guy thought, oh, the guy's going to tell me about Jade. He didn't say a word about Jade. Comes the next day, hands him that piece of Jade. He said, now come with me. Then he took him around and showed his property. Never said anything about Jade. Talked about his flowers and how, you know, he got these to grow this way and those to grow that way. And, and this went on for about four hours, and, and he said, okay, give me that Jade back, and, and uh, you come back tomorrow morning. This went on for a month. I mean, this guy's giving him his pedigrees, telling him about how long he's married, about his children. He talked about to this kid about everything on the planet except Jade. And that, you know, after about, about a month, he, he's going to give me the Jade backs, come back tomorrow morning. The kid comes back the next day, and he, he says, open your hand, puts Jade in his hand, and, he, and the kid says, that's not Jade. It wasn't. He was learning about Jade every day. He was becoming familiar with the feel of it, the weight of it, the smoothness of it. He was learning about Jade just, just experiencing it. He was familiar with Jade. You understand? You need to be familiar with your Bible. I don't just mean know it. I don't just mean be quick to quote a verse. I don't mean have a verse that shows that you could, you're right and somebody else is wrong. I mean, you need to be familiar with your Bible. Here's what happened. This is back in 1990. And I saw that verse, and I said, that is definitely a negative verse. But I read my Bible, and I try to be familiar with my Bible, and something, something in my head said this. That's not the first time Syria appears in the Bible. Now, uh, back in 1990, I don't know if there were, I can't remember if there were uh, a, a lot of computers and computer Bible programs, but does anybody remember the Franklin that little maroon Franklin, it was an electronic concordance. You'd type a word into it, and, and it would find it for you. Okay. And I had one back in 1990, and, and, and here's what I thought. I thought, see, because I'm going to tell you something, guys. If, you, if all you do is punch a word in your computer, I don't, think you're a, I don't think you're a student. I don't think you're a scholar. I think you ought to just go mow your grass. I think you ought to read that book and 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 get familiar with that book. Not just so that you know it, but this... When somebody says something, you go, yeah, 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 wait, wait, there's something. That doesn't ring. And so here's what I thought. When I, when I saw this, I said, you know what I think this guy did? He didn't read his Bible. He didn't find this verse. I think he picked up a Franklin, typed in Syria, and it took him to that verse. Now, here was something that was unique about the Franklin. If you typed in Syria, S-Y-R-I-A, it would take you to every reference to the word Syria in the Bible. But if you typed in Syria and in the sixth position put an asterisk, it would take you to Syria, Syrian, and Syrians. Anything that had those five letters at the beginning of the word. So I said, okay, you know, fire with fire, picked up my Franklin, Syria, asterisk. Now, before I show you this reference, let me ask you a question, deep Bible question. Um, let's see if you get this right. In your Bible, does Genesis come before Judges? Guys, you act like that's a trick. I mean, half a dozen of you said yes, the rest of you are going, well, I know if I say yes, he's going to say it's wrong. <laughs> I know that's what Baptist preachers do to you. I hate that. You know, they make you, they lead you to say the wrong thing just so they can jump on you. I will not lead you to say the wrong thing. The obvious answer is the right answer. I'm still a Baptist preacher. I'll jump on you anyway. Now, let me ask this again. 
in your Bible does Genesis come before Judges? All right. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Go to, uh, go to Genesis chapter, uh, let's go to, get 12 and get 24. Genesis 12 first, then 24. <clears throat> we are, for the first time in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to a man named Abram, who we know more famously as Abraham, the father of the Jews, uh, our, our, our father in faith. And look what the Lord says. Verse 1, Now the Lord said unto, unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and uh, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now let's look at the first verse again. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of, what's the next two words? Thy country. What country is it? We don't know. It's not given. But we know we left his country, right? What's your country? My country's the United States. If God said, get out of thy country, I'd leave here when I'm done. All right? So he says, get out of thy country. Now look at chapter 24. And in chapter 24, Abraham and and. And chapter 24, guys, in typology is one of the greatest types of the Trinity in the Bible. You have Abraham, who is a type of God the Father, sending Eliezer, a type of the Holy Spirit, to get a Gentile bride, a type of us, for his son, Isaac, a type of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a perfect typology. And look what he says. When he, when he commissions Eliezer to get a bride for his son, look what he says. Verse, uh, verse 3, And I'll make thee swear by the Lord, uh, the God of heaven, the God of the, earth, of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son, to the daughters of Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto, what's the next two words? My country. Now the my country of that verse is the thy country of chapter 12, verse 1. But we still don't know what country that is, correct? And it's not right for us to assume anything because we, that's just not, just not honest. But thou shalt go into my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And that is what Eliezer did. Now go to chapter 25. And in Genesis chapter 25, when Eliezer had fulfilled the commission of, of Abraham, it says this <clears throat> in verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, guys, that is the first time those five letters appear anywhere in your scripture. That is the first reference by name to the nation of Syria. You can't say that's negative. Brother, that's a type of God the Father sending, his, sending the Holy Spirit to Syria to get a Gentile bride for his son, Jesus Christ, Isaac. So, but see, the new reason this guy, you know why the guy missed that? Because he didn't study his Bible. He didn't read his Bible. He wasn't familiar with his Bible. He just punched a word into a computer and he found Syria and he never saw Syrian. You understand what I'm talking about? That's why I don't like that kind of study. And yet, that is the exact study I want you to do. So what are you talking about? Jesus 
is the, is the name of our Savior, right? The man Jesus. And if you want to do a study on him, uh, you want to do it tonight, go home, type Jesus into your computer, and it will find every reference where the name Jesus appears in Scripture, correct? Now, you have to ignore one because I think it's in Colossians. It says there was a, a disciple who's named Jesus who they called Justice, so you ignore that one. But you would find references to your Savior, correct? Well, then I, I know everything I need to know about Jesus. No. No, because if you type in Jesus into your computer, aren't you going to miss every verse in the Bible that is about Him, but doesn't have the name Jesus in it, but it calls Him Christ? Weren't there times when He's called Christ, but not Jesus? And you're going to miss every one of those where He's called Christ. You're going to miss every place where He was not called Jesus, but He was called Lord. You're going to miss where he's called Master. You're going to miss where he's called Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God, Son of Mary, the Prophet, Rabbi, Son, Lamb, and God Himself. You type Jesus into your computer, you think you're going to get a what? Uh, a, uh, uh, a comprehensive study of your Savior? No, you're not. You're going to get the verses that call Him Jesus and miss every single one where He's Christ, where He's Lord, where He's called Messiah. Well, the Holy Ghost. Uh, I hate to say this, but, but uh, the, the, the Pentecostals have terrorized us. They have absolutely terrorized us. Because the Bible talks about the Holy Ghost, and they talk about the Holy Ghost. And so we won't talk about the Holy Ghost, so we talk about the Holy Spirit. And we always talk about the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? Come on, that's what you say. You say Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to give you a little challenge. Now, I don't often challenge. I think a challenge, somebody says, well, that was a good challenge. I always thought a challenge was a smack in the mouth. But I'll give you a challenge. Go home tonight and type in Holy Spirit in your computer. You know what you'll come up with? Only six times in your Bible does the word holy come in front of the word spirit. And five of those are not a reference to the Holy Spirit. Not that name, the Holy Spirit. Five of those, the word holy is an adjective where it refers to the Holy Spirit of God. It's not called him the Holy Spirit. So there's one verse in your Bible about the, where the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. So go do it. And you will miss 90 references where he's called the Holy Ghost. You will miss four where he is called the Comforter. Do you understand what I'm talking about? See, if you do that, if you punch in that word, and all you're going to do is look for that word, you're going to miss every reference. So guys, that's the problem with that. This, this, this computer punching a word, and I'm studying the Bible. You're not studying the Bible. You're chasing a word, and you're missing every reference about that subject that does not have your keyword in it. Um, let me talk to you about, now I, I think this. I think that the Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian that ever lived. I really do. I've never, I have my reasons. But to be very honest with you, <coughs> my favorite apostle is Peter. And I'll tell you why. I, I, I describe Peter this way. He only opened his mouth to change feet. <laughs> Do you guys know what RAM is on your computer? It's random access memory. And that is where you work. I don't care how big your computer is. Uh, all your stuff is uh, like in a big file cabinet. But you know, if you had a file cabinet and you were to work on a, on, a, on a file, you would open up that file cabinet, you pull out that file, you go to your desk, and then you'd work on it on your desk. All the rest of them are still closed up in the file cabinet. When you open up something in your computer, you take, a, you take that file, when you open it up, 
you open it on your desk, which is random access memory. Now, I remember the first computer that I had, it didn't even have a hard drive. It was a Commodore 64. It had a crank on the side. And then, because I realized I needed a hard drive, I went and got a computer with the largest hard drive you could get, so I never had to get another one, 20 megabytes. That watch has more memory than that first computer. Now I got one that's got a gazillion, it's, it's almost as big as the national debt, okay? And, and so here's, what, here's how I describe Peter. Peter had very small RAM, like so small, he could only have one thought in it at a time, and he couldn't get a second thought in till the first one came out, and it usually came out his mouth. And sometimes it's pretty good, and sometimes, oh, Peter, keep the foot in the mouth. Matthew chapter 16, apostle sitting there. He walks up, he goes, uh, who do they say that I am? And they go, well, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. Uh, you know, some say Elijah. Who do you guys say that I am? Now, guys, you, you do know. I mean, you realize that there had to be some time when Jesus was away. And those guys got together and said, you think it's him? Yeah, I think it's him. Yeah, but there's been a lot of guys came around and said they're Messiah. But you really think, you think, you think our master is the Messiah? Yeah, I think he's the Christ. Well, I think they talked about it. But when he said, who do you guys say they am? Eleven of them choked, but not Peter, because he had one thought in his head. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wasn't that good? Amen. But Ram is now empty, and he can have a second thought. And it ain't like ten verses later, Jesus Christ said, they're going to crucify me. He says, well, I'm not going to let them crucify you. I mean, that was Peter, okay? I like Peter. I do. I, I can relate to Peter. And if you want to study Peter, type Peter into your computer. You will come up with 156 references to the name Peter. Now, that's not all about Simon Peter. You'll have to, you'll have to, um, uh, you'll miss every, you'll miss 71, I'm sorry, you'll miss 71 references where he's not called Peter, but where the word Simon appears. Wasn't he Simon Peter? And was he referred to sometimes as Simon? Okay, then I'll type in Simon. Well, you get 71 of those, but then you got to remove Simon the leper, Simon the Pharisee, Simon Judas Iscariot's father. You understand? Because when you type in a word, you'll miss everything where that word isn't. Now, I told you I think the greatest apostle that ever lived was the apostle Paul. And if you want to study Paul, go home tonight, turn on your computer, open your Bible program, type in P-A-U-L. You can do this. And your computer will find 156, or 158, two more than Peter, 158 references to the Apostle Paul. And you're going to hear some good stuff. I mean, you're going to, man, you're going to see him preaching. You're going to see people getting healed. You're going to see him uh, writing to churches. Is that not true? Let's look at a verse. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, <clears throat> Stephen preaches, <clears throat> and he, he gets what he wanted. Everybody came forward. Unfortunately, they killed him. And look what it says in verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. 
When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, probably meant Holy Spirit, uh, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on, his, on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Would somebody tell me who that guy is? He's Paul. But he's actually not Paul because he's not saved. So this is actually Paul what? Before he was saved. Go home tonight and type Paul into your computer Bible program and it won't find that verse. Right? Luke chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul, who is this? This is Paul, correct? Before he was saved. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Look at verse 3. As for Saul, that guy is there again. Guys, you have got uh, one, two, three, four. In starting at, at, at chapter 7, verse 58, and going to chapter 8, verse 3, in six verses, you have got this guy shows up three times, correct? Saul, Saul, Saul. And if you type Paul in your computer, you won't see any one of those three references, right? It's almost like what? Like they're invisible. Look at chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus at the synagogue, uh, to the synagogues <clears throat> that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Only with a computer. Only with a computer. If you type Paul, You'll find every verse that refers to Paul, because there is nobody else called Paul in the Bible. So every Paul you get is the apostle, correct? And you'll, you will miss every verse that refers to Paul before he got saved. Because Paul, before he got saved, will be invisible. You know who the invisible man is? You. Before you got saved. Morning, I got saved. I was, uh, uh, I was, uh, well, I was not good. I was planning a robbery. Uh, I was a car thief, and uh, I was a drunk. And I told you, as a Catholic, and I was a Democrat. And um, a buddy of mine and I were going to break into this guy's house, and we were obviously going to do it when he wasn't home. And and my friend said, uh, "Well, what do we do if he comes home?" I said, "We'll just kill him." I mean, I didn't care, people. I really didn't care. I had discovered, my 19th year on this earth was the worst year I ever had, and and nobody witnessed to me. When I was was lost, nobody witnessed to me. It wasn't there weren't Christians around, they just never witnessed to me, for one of two reasons. Either they're afraid that I wouldn't get saved, or they're afraid that I would. And so, I guess I could tell you that actually somebody did witness to me. You know who witnessed to me first? You're the first person ever witnessed me who? Knew who it was? Me. I am the first person that witnessed to me about my soul. Tell me if, thou, if, if, if I'm right. 
I'm sitting in the bar. I was in that bar every night, drunk every night. But on this particular night, all my friends were gone. There was a party or a fight somewhere. And I'm sitting at a table all by myself, got a beer in my hand, like I had many times, on my way to be drunk again that night. Why in the world, sitting at that table all by myself, did I say this? Sam, one of these days you're going to die. Where are you going to go? Now, does that sound like how you open a witness? Yeah. And I said, well, I don't know. What do you got to do to get to heaven? Well, I got to keep Ten Commandments. Oh, well, I'm not sure I got those down. Okay, I was real, I was real lenient. I said, keep the golden rule. Guys, I don't know how to say this. I was a crook, but I was honest. Who knows? I could have ended up in Congress. <laughs> because it took me five seconds, and I said, nobody can keep the golden rule. Nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. I'm going to hell when I die. And I established that day, that night, I was going to hell. When I realized I was going to hell that night, <clears throat> I made two changes in my life. Not in an attempt to get to heaven. Not in an attempt to get any points with God. Here was my two choices. Uh, the first thing, now this has been, if you didn't notice, a miserable day. Is it not? Yeah. But um, do you ever have those days that you call blue sky days? Like you get what, three a year? In fact, think about this. What if, what if would happen? What if happens somebody, somebody comes to church next Sunday? And they go, oh, we can't wait till tomorrow. Why? Because yesterday we bought a brand new car and we're picking it up tomorrow. Really? What color is it? Green with a blue top. Bet you got a good deal. <laughs> Could you even find a green car with a blue top? And if you did, would you want to buy it? You know how amazing your God is? He puts green grass out there and a blue sky above it, and it knocks our socks off. And then he accents it with a few white clouds and maybe a few flowers. I'm telling you what, it's out of sight, isn't it? So when I realized I was going to hell, when I'd see a blue sky day, I'd take a mental picture of it. I really did. I'd memorize what a blue sky day looked like because I thought when I go to hell, the only thing I can take with me is my memory. Maybe when I'm in hell, I'll remember what a blue sky day looked like because if there's any relief in hell, that's all I'm getting. And the second thing I did is I quit taking God's name in vain. I didn't quit drinking. I didn't quit biting. I didn't quit stealing or anything like that. But I quit taking God's name in vain, not to get points. I said this to God. I said, you made a way for me to get to heaven, Ten Commandments. Didn't he? That's what I thought. I thought that was very gracious of him. I said, you made a way for me to get to heaven, the Ten Commandments. It is not your fault that I'm going to hell. I'm the one that broke them. So in appreciation of the fact that you at least had met you. I had a chance to go to heaven because of God. So I quit taking his name in vain. And at that time, I was, uh, I was in a two-year uh, college to become a computer programmer. Actually, I became a computer programmer, graduated uh, three days before I got saved. And, and along that time, uh, I got invited uh, by this girl. I met her. Uh, we were in the eighth grade together. And about a year previous to our, our being uh, reintroduced, uh, she had gotten saved. And she said, would you go to church with me? To a Baptist church. Now, it's a Roman Catholic. Now, when you're a Roman Catholic, there's only two kinds of churches, Catholic and Holy Roller. So I wore the oldest clothes I had. You know, you'd have thought I was contemporary. I was just ahead of time. And I wasn't doing it to be disrespectful. Somebody said, why are you dressing like that? Here's what I thought. I thought like halfway through the service, 
they're going to start going, and somebody's going to rip my shirt off. I did. And I said, if they're going to rip your shirt off, you ought not to wear a good one. I sat three rows in from the back so nobody could reach me from the back. I sat, the, the one pew in this, this college career class had 425 people. It's a church of 5,000 people. Now that is either a large church, an aircraft carrier, or the capital of South Dakota. And one pew went from about there to about the start of this pew. So I'd sit dead center so nobody could reach me from the, from the aisles. And I kept an eye on the ushers. And if they made a move, and I remember, I remember they had these two ushers, and these guys were jocks. I mean, they were, and I looked at that guy over here, and I looked at that guy over there, and I, they can't reach me from behind, but I thought, man, if they cut me off, I can't whip these guys. I had a plan. My plan was I was going to grab whoever happened to be sitting in front of me, a guy, ladies. I was going to spin him. I was going to deck him. And in the confusion, they're going to have the only pew-jumping Catholic they ever saw. I did. I said, I said, I will come back later for my truck. I am going into the woods. <laughs> I'm disappearing. Well, that didn't happen. <clears throat> and pretty soon, I didn't have a suit. Uh, I, my best friend, uh, I borrowed his suit. Uh, and pretty soon, I was the only amening Catholic they had. Because I, I noticed when I'm sitting there, if, if this guy said something people agreed with, they'd say amen. And he said stuff that I agreed with, I said amen. And somebody said, well, aren't you afraid they're going to say something that's going to offend you? I said, I'm going to hell. What can they tell me worse than that? And I believed. You know what them Baptists believed? Them Baptists believed that when they died, they was going to heaven. You know what I believed? I believed they were too. Let me tell you older men in this church. That church was 5,000 people. There were probably a dozen, literally a dozen doors exit doors in and out around that building. No matter where I parked in that parking lot, no matter what door I came in, here I was a long-haired crook. They knew I was lost. They knew I was lost as the day is long. And there was some white-haired old man in a suit and tie, and he'd shake my hand and say, we're glad you're here. And they meant it. You have to understand something, guys. Never in my life did I walk in a room that somebody was glad I was there. Ever. Not when I went home. I never went anywhere that somebody was glad I was there. But when I walked in that church, I don't care what door, it wasn't always the same man. But there be a man. You guys have no idea. When somebody walks in this door, you grab their hand and say, we are glad you're here. And mean it. And mean it. That is what kept me going to that church. But I knew I couldn't get saved. I knew they were saved. I believe they were saved. I believe they're going to heaven. But I couldn't be. And so that was that. Now here's what was happening. I was coming up on this... Uh, I was coming up in this graduation for this computer programming thing in uh, college, and I was going to I'm going to graduate on Friday, and then we're going to go get drunk. But it's going to be in a city uh, like 40 miles away from home. So I wanted to go up sober and drive back, hoping that when I got drunk, I would find my way back home. So I take this Christian girl with me, and uh, I didn't tell her why. I, I took her on a Monday, and I've been going to that church maybe three or four months. Let me say this. You're hearing a guy say this, man, when they gave you the invitation, I was hanging on to the pew to keep from going forward. I wasn't. I am telling you, I, I sat there or stood there through invitations and the Holy Spirit, if he was in the room, he walked past me. He never looked my way. He never whispered my ear. I mean, I, was, it wasn't, I didn't resist nothing because there was nothing to resist. So I find out where this party's going to be. Now we're coming back home. Now I don't mean this wrong, guys. 
But if you told me, like you couldn't scare me talking about hell because I'm going. I can't do anything about it. So about halfway home, this girl starts talking about the tribulation. I never heard about that. She's talking about, about the water turning to blood. Hailstones that are 52 pounds. These things are going to come out of the earth with a tail like a scorpion and a face like Hillary. <laughs> it was terrifying. I am, I'm serious, man. I am driving down I-75, I-77, and the earth has opened up right next to me in my red, white, and blue Volkswagen. I almost took the mark just to get out of the car. Now, remember I told you I quit taking God's name in vain, and I did not do it to get points with God? But let's face it, folks. If you do anything that you think is good, at some point you try to cash in for points. And I try to cash in. And I, I prayed to myself. I mean, I'm serious. I'm sweating this because here's what I, I told God in prayer, quietly, to myself. I said this. I said, God, I know I'm going to hell. I didn't know hell was coming to me. I thought I at least had till I died. And then I said this. I said, God, I said, if there was a free way to heaven, if there really was, I, I'm not saying you'd save me. But if there was a free way to heaven, I think you'd le at least let me know about it so I could make a choice. Do you remember the first time God spoke to you? I remember the first time God spoke to me. He's right there. You know, you know how he got my attention? I felt like when I prayed that prayer, God reached in that car, slapped me across the face, and he called me by a pet name, who for the last 53 years, whenever he needs me, this is what he says. Hey, stupid. <laughs> now, let me just interject something here. If you're ever in prayer and you hear those two words, hang up. This is a private conversation. You can be dummy. You can be like jerk face. You can be Democrat. You can be anything you want. I have no problem being stupid. And here's what God said. Hey, stupid. What do you think sitting right beside you? And I looked beside me. You know sitting right beside me? Somebody telling me about a free way to heaven. It was a Monday. I had six days till church. I decided right then I'm getting saved Sunday. You say, why didn't you pull off the road and get saved? I didn't know I could pull off the road and get saved. I really didn't know. I would have done it. I didn't know. I thought I'd wait. But since I had to wait, I got home that afternoon. And you know, I was lost and I had some of those sins of the flesh. You know those things you get when you're lost. And so I thought, I need to get those out of my life uh, before Sunday. So I'm going to call this youth director today. And he's going to tell me how to get rid of them. I got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I get them out and I get saved Sunday. He wasn't home. He wasn't home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. I went, to, I went to church 53 years ago tomorrow, June 14, 1970, wanting to get saved. And I knew I couldn't because I hadn't found out how to get these things out of my life. They had a missionary preach uh, from the Philippines, missionary from the Philippines preach. And when he gave the invitation, the Holy Spirit didn't get the memo. He started to put me under conviction. I, you, know what, you know what conviction felt like for me? It felt like God had a thumb that was like this wide, this long, and he had a top of my head and was going to shove me right through the floor of that church. Now, since I got saved, I've come to realize that this is entirely too small. 
But here's what I said. I'm, I'm serious. That's what I felt. I felt like I was going to shove me right through the floor. And I said this to God. I said, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. I, I'm going to get saved. And I wasn't putting him off. I said, I said, the guy's standing right there, the youth director. I said, as soon as the service is over, I'm going to collar him. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. I got six days. And next Sunday, I'm going to have those things going. I'm going to get saved. And guys, all I can tell you is God made it very plain. I was not going to be there Sunday to get saved. Was I going to be dead? Oh, I was going to be dead. Or I was going to be in jail. Or I was going to be in a hospital for a car wreck or something. But it made me so mad because I wanted to get saved next Sunday. But I wasn't going to be there next Sunday. I got so mad. Here's what I said to God. Well, if I'm not going to be here next Sunday to get saved, I'm going to go today just as I am. <laughs> they ought to make a song out of that. And, and you hear them guys saying, oh, I was running from the hounds of hell. I wouldn't run from the hounds of hell. I was running from somebody that loved me. I never knew a person in my life that loved me. My parents didn't want me. I didn't, I didn't have a person. I couldn't have showed you a person on this planet that loved me when I was 20 years old. But there was somebody at the altar that loved me. And I was coming to meet him. Oh, guys, I met him. Amen. I met him. Man, I wasn't crying. I wasn't running. I was grinning. I could feel it. I looked like a 53 Buick, brother. This guy probably thought I was coming up here to bite him. <laughs> but then I got a problem. You know what my problem is? The guy, the youth director, was a guy named Mel Sabaka. And Mel Sabaka was one of Merle's marauders of World War II. Tough guy. I come forward to get saved. I get down my knees next to him, and he wants to do a Bible study. Well, there's a time to study the Bible, I imagine. Not when I want to get saved. He starts studying the Bible. So here's what I did. He's over here talking to me. Show me this scripture. Show me that scripture. Show me that. And I thought, okay, okay, look. The guy knows more about it than I do. So I'm going to bear with him. I'm trying to have grace. I was lost. I didn't have to have grace. But I'll bear with him. And he gets done and he says, uh, now do you believe if you ask Jesus Christ to save you right now, he'll do it? Now can I ask you people something? Why would you ask a guy on his knees at the altar during the invitation that question? I mean, there's a place to ask it. I thought, what do you think I'm here for? So now I'm getting a little steamed. And I went, Yeah. How do you know? I said, because you just told me. And he said, no. And I realized he was making me give him the wrong answer to look stupid. He wants to fight. And when I said, when, when he said, no, here's what I thought. You and me are going to fight. And then after we fight, I'm going to get saved. That was my plan. And I, got, I was so mad, I said, then why? And he, he had a wide margin, old Oxford. It was about like that, you know. And he leaned that thing over and stuck it right in my face. And he said, because that book says so. And I looked at that book, and I thought, you mean that book's got that much power? And the voice of somebody who wasn't in the room at that moment said, yeah, it sure does. And I bowed my head and I trusted Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. Now, let me tell you this. I, I, before I got saved, <clears throat> I told you I was a Catholic. And, and, and I'd come home, and I wasn't a good Catholic, but I'd go on Sunday once, you know, one time. And um, I'd come home some nights. Some nights, I'd pray this prayer. I'd pray these four, four prayers. Three of them were worthless Catholic prayers. 
Uh, I prayed to Mary. She didn't do me a bit of good. I prayed to an angel. He didn't do me any good. I made an act of contrition I didn't mean. I said what we knew, we now know is the Our Father, that's what we called it. <coughs> we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer, but at least it was in Scripture, right? So I'd pray, I'd pray, you know, our Father's art in heaven, I'd pray this act of contrition, I'd pray to Mary, I'd pray this angel. And every time it was like they didn't mean a thing to me, so I made up my own prayer. It was a short prayer. You know what I prayed? I'd say this, God, if I could get rid of all my sins, I'd start new. I'd start fresh. And if I was drunk or sober, it didn't matter. I'd cry every time I prayed that prayer because I knew I couldn't get rid of all my sins. I knew if I could stop sinning that day, I'd already done enough to go to hell. So I get saved. I sit down in the front pew. Now, it's a Baptist church, so the, the, the invitation went off about three hours. And I started having a conversation with God. Now, I'm a, I'm a believer, guys, that every lost person on the planet needs to make not one but two decisions. The first one is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That gets you to heaven. The second one is to make Him the Lord of your life. Amen. Now, I got some brethren think that those are both, you do them both at the same time. And as a Christian and as a preacher, I can testify, no, 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 no. Amen. I know a bunch of people. Sometimes it's anything from five minutes to five years to 50 years. There's probably somebody in here, you made the first one and you're afraid to make the second one. Amen. I made the second one about five minutes after I got saved. I didn't know what I was saying. I said this. I said, Lord, I said, here I am. I said, I'm a drunk. I'm a thief. I'm going to break into a guy's house. I'm probably going to end up in prison. If the guy comes home, I'm going to kill him. And if, he, if, this, if I get through all that, if I, if I told God, I said, if my, if my 19th year was bad, I told him if my 20th year wasn't, wasn't any better than my 19th, I was going to kill myself, put myself in hell. And I was halfway through that 20th year. I said, I messed my life up. Totally, completely. I said, now you went and gave me a new life. I said, you know what I'm going to do with this new life? I'll ruin it in five years. I've had 20 years of practice. All I know how to do is ruin a life. You give me a new life. Because see, one of them verses that he showed me during that Bible study that I didn't want to hear, therefore, if any man be in Christ, his new creature, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm so glad I, I let him give me that Bible study. So I said this. I already had a life. I've ruined it. I'll tell you what I'll do with this new life. I'll give it to you because I know what I'll do. You do with it what you want. Now, I did not know what I had just said. And if you want an earthly equivalent of that prayer, I don't know if you like uh, roller coasters. I like roller coasters. I like them. I'm not talking about them rubber tired things. I'm talking about those metal ones that give you a chiropractic adjustment while you ride. <laughs> just vibrate, you know. I like those. I can't ride those anymore. My head is literally held on by screws. And there is some suspicion that a few of them are loose. So if you're thinking that, you may not be medically off very far. And if I went on a roller coaster today, I'd come to that first turn and that thing go like this and my head. It just launch. But did you ever, what if you don't like to ride roller coasters? And you go to, you know, you go to Kings Island or something like that with your friends and they talk you into it. Well, first off, it's like a 45 minute wait in line to ponder the last moments of your life. <laughs> but at any point in that line, can't you step out? Can't you say I'm not doing it? Sure you can. What did you, you get right up to where you're the very first person? You are the next guy. As soon as the roller coaster comes in, they drag out the bodies and hose it down. 
you are in. And you could say, nope, I'm not doing this. You can even get in. No, I can't do this and get out. You can change your mind until one thing happens. You know what it is? That bar goes click. Now, guys, I am not a Calvinist. But when you hear that sound, the next two and a half minutes of your life are predestinated. <laughs> and they're going to be associated with rapid heart rate and a lot of screaming. And I didn't know what I was saying, but here's what I said. I said, God, I've already lived one life. I'll ruin this one in five years. I might be saved five years from now, but I'll be as unhappy as I am right now. You take this new life and click. Do what you want with it. I prayed that prayer in Canton, Ohio, June 14th, 1970, 53 years ago. Ten weeks later, I was 1,200 miles away in Pensacola, Florida, going to Bible college, learning Greek participles. Somebody said, Gip, do you know what a participle is? Man, I don't know what a participle is. A half a sipple. <laughs> People don't give you credit for nothing. Guys, when I went to, when I went to Bible college, I still had long hair, see-through body shirts, bell-bottoms, open-toed sandals, and I showed up in that red, white, blue Volkswagen. <laughs> I painted that myself, and it is another story, but it did float. But I had a little problem. I had a little problem. No, it wasn't a sin problem. It wasn't a sin problem. No, the problem was, it was that verse. Therefore, if a man be in Christ, a new creature, old things passed away, but all things come new. You see, I'd said this to God. I... Uh, that those, those two years, first two years I was there, I said, God, I said, uh, Bible says, therefore, if anything, any man be in Christ, a new creature, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And uh, so we go to Massillon, Ohio, my, my hometown, go to the police department. There's a file cabinet. They pull out G. They'll find Gip Samuel C., and there's everything I did. I was arrested my first time when I was 14 years old. Stole my first car when I was 14 years old. And you said old things are passed away, but, but it's in a file. And I, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't griping. I just didn't understand. Now, you understand this, guys. When I was in Bible college, I didn't get a lot of mail. My, my folks didn't write me. Most of the mail I got was from the guy that, that lived there before me. His name was Resident. And the guy before him was a guy named Occupant. You ladies would be brokenhearted. I threw away thousands of dollars worth of grocery coupons. But then in my second year, I, uh, I got a letter addressed to Sam Gipp. That got my attention. Then I looked at the return address, and it really got my attention. It was from the Ohio State Department of Juvenile Justice. And I knew exactly what happened. One of my friends ratted on me. See, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unsolved crimes in my neighborhood, my, my hometown around 68, 69, the first half of 1970. And I thought one of my buddies got busted and he, he turned me in on something I did. Here I am, I'm trying to live for God. Now I got to go back home and, and go to jail. So I thought, well, I haven't even opened it yet, but I thought, I'm, well, I'm going to handle this like a Christian should. I'm going to throw it away and pretend I never got it. Well, that wasn't right. So I told the Lord this. I was only a couple of weeks finishing up my second year. And I said, okay, Lord. I said, here's what I'll do. I'll finish up the second year. Then I'll go up home and I'll go to jail. Open up that letter. That was not what it was about at all. It said this. Dear Mr. Gibb, 
We at the High State Department of Juvenile Justice noticed that you haven't been arrested for two years. And I thought, that's right, I haven't. That was kind of, that's pretty cool. I was going to say none of you got a letter like that. Dave might have. But I thought, you know, I hadn't thought about it. I got arrested two years. That's pretty good. Now, you understand the world does not understand salvation. And I told you, if you tell somebody you got saved, they'll say you got religion or whatever. And here's what they said. They said, because you haven't been arrested for two years, it's obvious you're trying to turn over a new leaf. And because you're trying to start a new life, your police record has been pulled from our file, permanently sealed, never to be opened again. You know what I thought? You know what I thought when I heard that? Oh, here, listen, let me tell you what it said. Last line. The last line in that letter said this. And now if you ever have to fill out a job application and, there, and there's a question in there that says, do you have a police record? You can honestly say no. Oh, when I read that sentence, I said to myself, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know who the invisible man is? It's you before you got saved. Now, I, I said, if you got saved very young, you got the best testimony, but some of you didn't get saved young. Some of you know, you know some terrible truths about yourself. You know what you need to remember? You can see what you were before God sa you got saved, and God himself can't. Maybe. I mean, he was Saul, and you can't find him when you look for Paul. Isn't that right? Maybe that's why we get a new name written in glory. I mean, I might not be Samuel C. Gip in heaven. Now, I have, a little, I have a little fear of the judgment seat of Christ. It's not what I'm going to have to answer for. It's nothing like that at all. I don't know how you see the judgment seat of Christ, but I always see myself waiting for the next guy, the guy right in front of me getting judged, and you're next. And I have this horrible feeling. I'm going to step up in front of the Lord. He's going to look at the book of life and call my name. Samuel Jip. Ah, <laughs> uh, Gip. Gip. Gip, not Jip. Gip. 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 Jip. <laughs> no, no, I got Gip all my life. I thought I, I thought you knew everything. <laughs> now you'll have to add the thunder and lightning here. Jip, Jip, Jip. Sam Jip reporting. Man, I'm telling you, I got a new name written in glory. You know how I know? Because every time he looks for Sam Gip, you can't find him. Could you imagine if somebody said, 1966, let me tell you what happened in 1966. Me and four buddies of mine went to the local Mercury dealer after hours. Hotwired two brand new 66 Cyclone GT, 315 horsepower, 394 speeds. Took them out, but just drove them to death. Left them smoke alongside the road. And I got sentenced to six months in Mansfield Reformatory. Anybody here ever seen Mansfield Reformatory? I know you Old home week, isn't it, Dave? Uh, some of you say, I've never seen Mansfield Reformatory. Yes, you have. Yeah, a bunch of you have seen Mansfield Reformatory. Anybody ever see a movie called The Shawshank Redemption? The opening scene, that ominous prison, that's Mansfield Reformatory. And that ended up, I, didn't, I ended up getting a suspended sentence for two years, but, but here's what I'm saying, guys. I did that in 1966. 
I got saved in 1970. Now, could you imagine if somebody went to God right now and said, uh, Sam, give your son. Mm -hmm. You'd let somebody like him preach. What do you mean? You heard what he did, didn't you? What? Oh, he stole two brand new cars right off the, off, the, off the dealer's lot. When did he do that? 1966. Well, now, how can he do that four years before he was born? Isn't that right? Guys, do you understand that before you got saved, it doesn't exist? It is invisible to God? And you know, sometimes, you know what we do? We spend too much time looking back at the invisible man. Amen. I had a preacher friend, and he was, uh, he was a very ungodly man before he got saved, and he got married, and, and his wife's expecting their first child, and he's doing this thing, you know, that, that, that oh, no, what's going to happen? Oh, no, what's going to happen? And he said this, he said, somebody said, why are you like that? He said, well, I know all the ungodly things that I did before I got saved. I'm afraid God is going to get even with me with this child. Oh, I see. I understand. I understand completely. The payment for that man's sins are the blood of Jesus Christ and a child with a birth defect, right? After I got saved, you're going to believe this, somebody stole my car. Well, it wasn't a car, it was a Volkswagen. If I'd have caught him, I'd have punished him severely, I'd have made him keep it. And he was a well-meaning Christian said this, a well-meaning Christian said this. He said, do you know why God had them steal your car? I said, God had them steal my car. I didn't know God was in the business. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have quit stealing cars. I started using my talent for Jesus. But I wanted to know why God had these guys steal my car. And I said, why did, he, why did God have them steal my car? He said, well, you stole cars before you were saved. So God had to have them steal one of yours. I said, well, I'm going to lose 24 more. And then I asked this question. Can I ask you this question? I'm saved. You understand that? My sin's been paid for. By the blood of Jesus Christ and a stolen car. Because the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't enough. Right? Not on your life. Why would you get saved and think, I'll bet that happened because that's, that's what I did. For Are you kidding me? God is going to bring something down on you that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross? And what Jesus did wasn't enough? Let me tell you about one of the most tragic stories. Back in 1987, I was preaching a camp meeting in uh, Connecticut. This might have happened in 1987, uh, might have happened the very next year, 88. It's right in there, one of those two. And it was out in a, it was out in a tabernacle, out in the uh, country. And standing right down here about the third row in was a very tall, thin young man in his 30s. He was, uh, I think, an accountant. He's a Roman Catholic. I don't know who invited him here. Sitting there by himself. I got done preaching, and this guy came got down and got saved. Have you ever heard that ter term, got gloriously saved? This guy got gloriously saved. I mean, he got saved and got in. He got baptized. He got in church. And he got in the harness. And every year I'd come and preach that meeting, and there he was. Um, he just started just singing those songs with gusto. He appreciated his salvation. And then, because he got so saved, after about three years, his Roman Catholic wife said, I can't live with you anymore. I can't stand it. And she divorced him. And the next time I came to that meeting, there he was, and he was glowing, and he was beaming, and he was singing them songs with the same gusto he always had. 
And I think it went on for 10 or 15 years. I mean, it was just so, no wife, his wife had left him. His family thought he was nuts and he was so thrilled to be saved. And then he met this Christian lady who loved the Lord and her husband had died and they fell in love and got married. And it was one of them, just these two belong together type marriages. And now they were both there. Next time I went out, she's sitting next to him, and they're both singing with gusto, and they're both excited they're saved. And they're married for about a year. And one day, like she always had, she went to the grocery store. When she came home from the grocery store, she's about to let herself in the house, but she saw a note taped onto the door. And the note was from her husband. It said this, don't come in the house. Call the pastor. And have him come in the house. She walked around to the front door. Same note. Don't come in the house. Call the pastor. And have him come in the house. She called her pastor. She said, Pastor, I just came home from the grocery store. I was going to go in the house. And I found a note on the door. And my husband wrote me this note. Said, don't come in the house. Call the pastor. Have him come in the house. Would you come over to my house right now? He says, yeah, I'll be right over here. He came over, took the keys. He said, now you wait right here. He unlocked the door, stepped in the living room. No problem. Living room, living room, fine. Stepped into the dining room. No problem. Dining room was fine. He stepped into the kitchen. And there he lay. He sat down at the kitchen table, put a 12-gauge shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And blew his brains all over half of that room. And he left a suicide note. And you know why he killed himself? For something he had done when he was 14 years old. Probably, probably over 20 years before he got saved. You know what that, you know what the mistake that man made? He kept looking at the invisible man. Now, you know, you can talk about what you did before you got saved and, and give the glory to God. But if you're going to spend your time looking at that person and thinking, boy, something bad's got to happen to me because of that. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ paid for all that. Did he not? And what do you think you're doing? Let me ask you if this happened. What would you do if this happened? You're home. you got a little child. Your friend is over there. You're good friends. And your child acts up and needs spanked. So you put him over your knee and you spank him. And your friend says, yeah, he needed that. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yep. And you get done spanking your child. And your friend thinks, but you didn't do it enough. And grabs your child and throws them across their knee and thinks they're going to add some to it. Now, what are you going to do about that time? You're not going to let somebody spank your child, right? Who do you think you are spanking God's child when Jesus Christ took the beating? So I'm telling you tonight, guys, I am so thankful. There's an invisible man. He dwells, June 14th, 1970, on the other side of that. You know what I do sometimes? I'll do it tomorrow. I say this. I say, God, I'm so glad I'm saved. And when I say I'm glad I'm saved, you know what I do? I look, I go to June 14, 1970, I look at the 20 years before that and I say, I'm so glad I'm saved. But sometimes I don't say I'm glad I'm saved. You know what I say? I'm glad I'm still saved. And when I do that, I go to June 14, 1970, and I look the other way at the last 53 years at all the times, if you want to take my salvation, he could have taken it any time if he did take it if he did that kind of thing, right? But he doesn't do that. And he certainly does not hold against you something that 
was paid for by the blood of his only begotten son. And you know what you ought to do? Instead of, instead of looking back at that invisible man and all the ungodly things that he did when, or she did before Jesus Christ saved you, you leave that invisible man over there, that invisible woman. You know what you instead ought to do? You ought to thank God that they're invisible to the eyes of your divine Savior. I'd like you to stand. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know what you did before you got saved, but I know it, I know it earned you a place in hell. And I know where you're not going there because Jesus Christ went to the cross for it. Now, who in the world do you think you are? Looking back before the cross and flogging God's child for something he did or she did before they were even born to him. Let's let the invisible man lay. Maybe tonight somebody's getting on their knees. Oh, thank God. Thank you, God, for the invisible man. Thank you, God, for the invisible woman. Thank you that there's no one here would ever see what I was and that you yourself can't see. And you know, I just don't think I'll spend so much time looking that way anymore. Father, I thank you, God. Even though we can see he who is invisible, our, our lost self, we all know our Saul. You only know our Paul. But help some of these people to lay Saul to rest. Or Saul will kill Paul as he did that man. God, help these people to leave their sins beyond the cross. And instead of condemning themselves for what they did when they were lost, they ought to be high-stepping over a God that not only forgave him, but forgot him. And I pray, God, you get some honor and some glory and some praise tonight. Amen. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, piano plays. If you need to talk to the Lord, folks have come. Why don't you come? Lord, thank you for the invisible man.